Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Joanna Chu, senior reporter of the Toronto Star, author, joining us today from Vancouver. Hey, Jesse. I just saw you in Toronto last night. It's nice to be talking to you again. Today on the show, Joanna, it's all gone, Handong. The Chinese influence story just got real for one MP. Also, the national crime spree that we can't legally talk too much about. Youth crime and reporting bans. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to everyone by Sean Cullen, Brian Render, Matt Rushton, Zachary Curry, Marco Martinez, Nick Lovson, Jeffrey Watchorn, and Stefan. My name is Stefan Deschain. I'm a fellow podcaster, and I've been listening to Jesse's since the uh, search engine days. And I support Canada Land because I like shit disturbers. Society can't progress without them. I have informed the Prime Minister and the leadership of the Liberal Party Caucus that I will be sitting as an independent to my wife, Sophie, and my kids. I love you. I thank you for all the support and love you give me. The truth will protect us. Our honor and our family will get through this together. Sorry about that. Thank you, Speaker. Well, that was just awful. Joanna, that was formerly Liberal MP, Han Dong, still an MP, but stepping down from Liberal caucus, now sitting as an independent. Just an awful moment. It's awful if he didn't do anything. And it's awful if he did. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know how we're supposed to know one way. I don't know what we're supposed to make of this. Yeah. So just to give a little bit of context, Handong, he's actually been kind of, maybe perhaps unfortunately for him, the poster boy of recent leaks from CSIS to Globe and Mail Global about what China is doing exactly. And even before, you know, this latest controversy, he was the only MP named by reports that he received support from the Chinese government in the 2019 federal election, that China helped with nomination, undeclared cash donations to these 11 MPs, allegedly, but he was the only one named. I think all of kind of Canadian anger and confusion about what's happening is kind of zeroing in on this one man when, you know, people have been following this, uh, reporting on this, know it goes way beyond this one person, whether he is, it's true he did what he did. It's, it's There's still a lot to know about and investigate and try to verify. When Global News' Sam Cooper was on the show recently talking about his initial report from back in November, I think he said that his source within CSIS was telling him that there were 11 MPs who had been targeted mm-hmm. by Beijing. And, you know, I, I always try to advocate for a curious newsreader here. And I said, well, how can you just say that there are 11 MPs and not give us any names? Or, like, how come there's been no follow-up? I and mean, we need to know more about this. This is really drawing the whole system into, into suspicion, especially because in certain cases, Sam Cooper was reporting that they knew that they were being targeted by Beijing, that they were being given money, and they were, like, busloads of people were being given, like, mm-hmm. 20 bucks each to vote in nomination yeah. races. So I, I felt like the newsreader needed to know. But now we we finally do get a name, and it's all coming down on Handong. And, mm-hmm. you know, everything traces back to Sam Cooper's reporting and then Globe and Mail's reporting, which are both based on CSIS intelligence sources. And, and then we've just got a lot of punditry and commentary and background, but not a lot of other, like, facts or evidence from anyone else. Yeah, so I would kind of counter that last point, not a lot of facts and evidence from everyone else. As soon as this news broke, a lot of people, especially Chinese Canadians who have been seeing this happen in their communities, who literally were giving tips to CSIS, a lot of the CSIS intelligence I have confirmed from CSIS sources comes from civilians, like the Chinese Canadians who are in the rooms, who who watch the buses of nominators come into the polling station and, you know, all look kind of like students or kind of confused seniors. And it's like, oh, you're supposed to vote for this person, this candidate. You were just looking at your hand as you said that because they actually had the name of the person that they're supposed to vote for written on their hand. Somebody had said, here's the person, you don't know who they Mm -hmm. are, here's the person you're supposed to go vote for. Yeah, so... There's been eyewitnesses who, in my research since 2006, you know, decades, have been trying to testify to the Canadian government, like, I have seen this. My family in China or my friends in China have been harassed, and partly what Beijing's trying to do is either to silence you because you're outspoken about democracy in China or about the 1989 uh, Tiananmen Massacre, Or in some cases, they're actually trying to look for people to act as their proxies in Canada and using that leverage, like your friends and family in China, to to try to recruit and compel people back in the 90s to to be their proxies. So they've been kind of desperately trying to ring alarm bells. So I guess my first reaction, even back in November, was that if true, um, the reports about the CSIS intelligence aren't surprising because they mirror what's been coming out piecemeal from mostly Chinese Canadians and also international researchers because Beijing has a similar, very similar playbook in Australia, UK, parts of Europe, like other places of interest because that's where a lot of kind of pro-democracy Chinese immigrants 
flock to some decades ago. And it was a focus of my book because I wanted to give that international context. Because there's a lot there. It's almost as if we're operating in silos, like Canada is like, oh, what's happening in Canada? And then the UK is like, oh, what's happening in the UK? But when you compare the cases, you can get more information and understanding that way. We don't have to rely on Global and Mail and Global and, and trust their journalists to factually, faithfully, responsibly report what they're getting from CSIS. I think we should kind of take into the entirety of what's been out that has been verified, that police know about, that CSIS actually has confirmed publicly that China, Russia, Iran are some of the main actors right now. I take your point, and I, I, I like have gotten from your reporting and others like almost a sense of a collective eye roll for people who have been paying very close attention to this for years. Like, oh, suddenly, mm-hmm. oh yeah, suddenly everyone's figured out that there's Chinese meddling in Canada. Yeah. And a lot of people, especially in the Chinese diaspora and communities, have been like rattling cages, like trying to get attention. Mm-hmm. You know, one of your sources is like a f- freedom fighter who's faced terrible persecution, who's in Canada, said, well, if this is what finally gets people to care about this, then good. It's a good thing because mm-hmm. it's totally compatible with what is very well documented with reporting and evidence. I would say that what is different right now is not necessarily that we're suddenly learning about what Beijing's been getting up to, but that we're learning at least what our intelligence apparatus believes our government in Canada. Like, what is Canada getting up to in terms of its complicity? What are what are Canadian MPs? How compromised is our system, and, and even at the federal level? You know, and that's why this is, like, landing like a bombshell. And the other thing I think, of course, is our relationship with China has changed. I think that th- there used to be a very willful blindness, to use Sam Cooper's term, because we wanted to have a good business relationship with, yeah. with China. And that's that's different now. So now suddenly we're getting tough and we're getting serious. But all of that creates this enormous weight that is coming down on a point on Handong's mm-hmm. head, you mm-hmm. know, uh, is the allegory here. And and that's where evidence is scarce. And I want to run through, as just as a newsreader, getting two very different narratives depending on who I read, okay? I'm getting one narrative, one scenario that is essentially compatible with what Global News has been reporting and the Globe and Mail and others, that, yes, Beijing has seemed to have corrupted our democracy at a very high level. And they are said to be funding candidates, some of whom are are actually in on it, complicit, beholden, not just to Canada, but to Beijing. And Handong, we are told, might be one of them. And we're given specifics here that once he was installed in office with Beijing's help, he back-channeled with their consulate, he subverted his own prime minister, and we're told he schemed with them to keep two Canadian hostages, political hostages, in prison longer than they otherwise might have been, and he did so for political purposes. That's one scenario, and that's what I think Global's reporting adds up to, and you're hearing stuff from, you know, the National Post, and, and you know, and also partisan talk, you know, the conservatives seem very credulous as to that narrative. The other narrative is that hawkish agents within the security apparatus, they're the ones subverting the prime minister and the prime minister's office by illegally leaking information that's either mistaken or exaggerated or both. And a reckless media is parroting these claims, repeating vicious allegations, destroying the reputation of an innocent and democratically elected member of parliament. And that's the narrative that I'm getting from pundits like Andrew Mitrovica, who's writing in Al Jazeera, he calls this Canada's McCarthyism. Ricochet said that our media is far too trusting of police and spy sources. Passage said flatly, I don't trust global news on this. But it's not just that, like the 
you know, progressive, explicitly left press. At your paper, the Toronto Star's Chantal Hubert questions Sam Cooper's sources. Should we be trusting spies? They don't have a great history of giving us good information. And I've read, you know, similar insinuations doubting the sourcing, watching uh, CTV's question period. In the context where Canada doesn't have a lot of prominent people who understand China in prominent positions like news anchors, we've seen like a month of CTV, CBC, like on a major networks, like all white panels talking about China with no Chinese person. And you talked about CTV question period. They talked about whether translation in Handel's transcript was correct or not. It was like all blonde women and my colleague, <laughs> Benzi. Robert Benzi said that, oh, maybe this was a translation error. But the Handong uh, situation is interesting. It may, it, it may in fact be a, a mistranslation of the word immediate and the word delay, which apparently sound very close to one another in Mandarin. Joanna, does the word immediate sound a lot like the word delay in Mandarin? No. <laughs> and I and also Chinese people have racked their brains like, what words are they talking about? And it's like, we can't think of any that sounds similar, <laughs> especially if it was a clear transcript. And you'd think that they wouldn't publish something on a very fuzzy transcript, you know? They could have used you on that panel, I think. I guess my point of view as a newsreader is like, I don't think either of those narratives have much evidence to support them. First of all, uh, scheming between the allegations or insinuations, I don't think it's actually in the global report. I think they do have lawyers that are smarter than we give them credit for. Um, they're not accusing Handong of having a pivotal role in what happened with the two Michaels. When you look carefully at what happened, and I'm a personal friend of Michael's and kind of know some of the little bit of the behind the scenes of what happened. And it's very high level. This decision to detain the two Michaels was from Xi Jinping, the president of China. It wasn't the Chinese consulate in Toronto. And Handong being a pretty lowly MP, even if he said, like, he was really insistent that you have to keep the Michaels in jail, Mr. Toronto Consul General, it's very unlikely that this would have any bearing on what President Xi actually decides. And actually, Canada itself had very little role in the two Michael's fates. A lot of it was between the U.S. Justice Department agreeing to cut Meng Wanzhou a deal so then they could have that prisoner exchange. So let's not overinflate Handong's potential role and Canada's potential role. The question wouldn't necessarily be that this was where the decisions were getting made. And I take your point that, like, neither Handong nor the, the Chinese official he was speaking with really had much power in, the, yeah. in this situation. But the idea that while the prime minister is trying to get these two guys freed, his own MP is on the phone with the consulate saying, actually, maybe it's a better idea if we wait a little bit. Like, But if that is true... I don't want to minimize that because if that is true, it, like that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty shitty if true. I was kind of looking into it because it raised a question and actually in my mind that I realized I had a gap in my understanding. Like, what exactly is foreign influence in Canada? Because people kept saying like, oh, there's a difference between influence and interference and this person could be an agent. And I looked at the words and it's very murky. So I spent like a whole week digging into the legal terminology and spoke with people who would know former senior recent CSIS intelligence analysts. And CSIS has a pretty clear definition of foreign influence. And one of the things is directional. It has to come from 
outside of Canada from a foreign state happening within Canada that are detrimental to the interests of Canada and that also clandestine or involve a threat to any person. So you look at, you know, if true that incident, did it come from outside Canada? Well, in that particular conversation, Handong was a Canadian speaking out to China. So you might say it's almost opposite. He was trying to influence, he was trying to foreign influence China. Rather than being influenced by them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Was it clandestine? It was clandestine because people, it wasn't a public meeting. So that would tick the box. Did it include a threat to any person? I guess um, it would be an implied threat to the two Michaels, but mostly it's directional. So that conversation alone, at least for CSIS, for the RCMP, which has its own slightly different definition for an influence, he wouldn't be like hauled off to jail or accused officially of the government of kind of wittingly receiving this influence from China. So that's also helps us realize that our laws and our lack of laws are pretty murky and quite limited. Canada doesn't have a foreign anti-foreign interference law, like yes. nothing like that. Sam Cooper mentioned that to me, that like it's, it's this weird situation where even if we like were to conclusively prove that we had, you know, foreign agents trying to influence Canada and mm-hmm. we actually could fully document who they are and what they're doing, it wouldn't necessarily be illegal. You know? No, it's, it's, yeah, often it's not. And I think China knows it. And a lot of my work is just translating what China brags about its work overseas. And it's very quite open about what it's doing, that they're working in these gray areas where, of course, the foreign governments wouldn't like to see this happen. But there's not that much I can do about it. But things like the foreign agent registries in the U.S. and Australia, some people say do act as a deterrent because at least they know that there's some sort of regulation and monitoring. Even if acting and being a proxy for a foreign state, even in the U.S., isn't necessarily a crime, you could get uh, persecuted and a band member of the Fugees. <laughs> Prez from the Fugees, yeah. Yeah, he's actually, you know, facing charges right now, like conspiracy, fraud. It's a wild story. That he didn't disclose that he was working with the Chinese state. And that's the that's the pivotal part is that he did not register as an agent for the Chinese state because, you know, that's how it works. Yeah. But Canada doesn't have any of that. And that's a game, like, decades Chinese Canadians have been, like, our families being threatened. We go to the police. The police say they... There's no laws that we can investigate. There's there's no laws broken. We can come to your house if someone, you know, is actually on the line threatening you. But, you know, what happens to your family member at home or this coercion that happens over the phone or even in person sometimes from a Chinese consulate member, they can't arrest anyone. So very frustrating for, for communities who like, you know, really serious intimidation and bullying, people getting phone calls, as yeah. you documented, and the Canadian authorities can't do anything about it. This is so complicated, and there's so many parts to this, but what is happening right now is in such a vacuum of facts, and, and mm-hmm. you know, Mitrovica uses the term McCarthyism, and that can sometimes feel like hyperbolic, but when you do get, like, accusations, how does Handong even possibly defend himself against this? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the liberals go from defending Handong completely, like rigorously. The first time this came up, his name came up, they said, this is racist. You're questioning his patriotism and his loyalty. We stand by him 100%. And then all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, he was not authorized to be a back channel. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know about this. And then the next thing we see is he's stepping down from caucus. Did they throw him under the bus? And you know what stepping down means? Usually you're asked to 
step down. That's right. So much of this is like you have to infer what actually happened. But it seems like a very possible circumstance that the prime minister's office was trying to think of like, how do we just get through this particular day of scrutiny? And it seems like that's been their MO from the start. Mm -hmm. And Handong may have become a liability and was asked to step down with this idea that this, like, he's got to step down so that he can clear his name. I I don't know how he could possibly clear his name from this. Mm -hmm. Like, is that clear to you? Yeah, so he has talked about legal action. So now it's even, like, kind of inciting, like, the, you know, public interest even more because you throw in a juicy lawsuit against Sam Cooper and then things get even more exciting for the armchair expert on Twitter. But I think it is, like, very up Canada lens alley because it's kind of a media story. Mm -hmm. It's kind of unprecedented in recent times that two newspapers running leaks from CSIS is having such, like, a impact on politics and, yeah. you know, and the reputation of uh, the prime minister and MPs. And in Vancouver, uh, the Globe and Mail ran a piece that kind of had pretty heavy insinuations about Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim and a mm-hmm. councillor, Lenny Joe, so both of Chinese descent, you know, citing two sources at CSIS and, and not explaining, like, why they have these suspicions. And again, the mayor was like, what? Like, how do I defend myself against this? Like, it's a lot of heavy insinuations. And personally, like, I trust some of the journalists involved, like, in varying degrees. And it's pretty clear that they and their lawyers are seeing a lot more than what they can print. Yeah. But as, a, like you say, a newsreader, you're supposed to kind of read and assess what's in front of you. And some of the reports, if you're going to decide whether or not to pass judgment on a person, like you said, there doesn't seem to be enough. You have to infer that in order to avoid lawsuits, that newspaper's lawyers have seen more than the newspaper is printing. Yeah, Global News knows how how hot a potato this is. And Sonia Verma, their editor-in-chief, has has been clear that they, they stand by this story. I want to drill down on some of the reasons why people are casting, like, a little bit of side-eye at Global News here. Let's listen to a clip from Monday's episode of CBC's Front Burner, where Rosie Barton was talking about this with, uh, with Jimmy Poisson. Part of the story that I found very confusing, it reports that Handong suggested to China's consul general in Toronto that releasing the two Michaels would help the conservatives. Yeah, I mean, that was that's the claim in the reporting. I, I have racked my brain, frankly, to try and understand what the logic would be there. And the story certainly doesn't put it together. The Liberals were working very hard to have the two Michaels released. The Conservatives were, at the time, putting a lot of pressure, obviously, on the government to do that, as were many, many other people. It certainly feels like it requires at least some mental gymnastics to try and wrap your head around it. Joanna, I don't know that it is that difficult to figure this out. And Adam Zivo, writing in the National Post, he laid it out. He said, look, there's a very clear reason why Handong might have said, let's keep the two Michaels in prison, or it would be good if you kept them in prison a bit longer. This all happened before an election. And while we now think, oh, what a great triumph for Trudeau that he got the two Michaels freed, at the time, you know, the term hostage diplomacy and the and the idea that he was caving to China, you know, almost certainly if that had happened before the election, the conservatives would have seized upon that as a weakness from the prime minister. And Zivo wrote, far from a liberal victory, the prisoner swap was a concession to Beijing's power and a reminder of Canada's weakness. Had the swap and its associated discussions occurred earlier, at a time when the Trudeau government was more vulnerable, the political cost to the liberals could have been more significant. And it was interesting to me that we have journalists casting that doubt 
on this narrative, we're not hearing even politicians, like the prime minister isn't saying that. It's like we're getting a stronger defense Mm -hmm. of Handong and of the Liberal Party's position from reporters than we are from the government itself. Yeah, I think kind of polling Chinese Canadians, like looking at this situation, I think they're less inclined to think that Handong was really maneuvering and talk, thinking about elections in that way. They talk about the cultural context when you perceive that you're in a meeting with some sort of high-level official. Basically, you suck up, you kind of showboat, you, you say what they want, perhaps more so in China than in the West, because I've been to meetings with Chinese officials or, you know, fancy company people where they just have these big like armchairs and you're seated side by side and some lady who looks like flight attendant comes in and gives you tea and you're basically expected to just like talk bullshit for for a little while and really stroke the ego of the more senior person. Uh Uh-huh. So (laughs) a lot of um like the Chinese Canadian like democracy advocates, they're also dismissing like, oh, he was just trying to suck up. He knows that he's pretty lowly. He doesn't have that impact and that what he says is not going to make an impact. But it was chatter. It was flattering chatter, possibly. It was. Yeah. But we don't know the wider context. And to me, this incident in particular is kind of distracting from the wider things. And for researchers, for people affected by this influence who have basically family members who are being taken hostage to try to control them. They're like, when are we going to talk about the other stuff? (laughs) Like, when is Canada going to talk about our lack of laws and our lack of protections? Because this story is almost so juicy that people, some people think it's, even though it's very consequential to hand on. And he is part of the 11 MPs that allegedly got wider support in the elections, which is actually more relevant to foreign influence in this conversation. They wish that we could have a more reasoned debate rather than all this mudslinging and like what happened because possibly we'll never know even if there's a public inquiry possibly we'll never get those very satisfying answers about this particular incident in the absence of information that kind of speculation and and online sleuthing that's sort of what happens and i you know i feel like on the one hand like i I don't know where i sit on this like should they have given us less information and and not given us handong's name or or do we need a lot more information because now there's like well there's 10 other mps and we don't know their names so that's like that creates a ripe atmosphere for maybe it's this one and maybe it's that one is there responsibility on the part of the pmo here to clear this up because like they said that they've seen a transcript of the conversation between Handong and this member of the Chinese consulate, and they did not consider it actionable. So that could really clear it up if they released that transcript, then we might actually know whether or not he did anything or not. And, you know, and and that all is, is one piece of a larger point, which is how about that public inquiry? Like, is it not the prime minister's office that is creating this atmosphere of fear and suspicion? And I don't want to understate, like, even if it's just one person, and we heard Handong talking about his family. And, 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 and if you read his full statement and his family's history with the communist apparatus in, in China, like he's been a victim of the state. And the implications on that one individual are not to be discounted. And I can see this getting much, much worse. Mm-hmm. Like this is, yeah. this is really, really a toxic atmosphere mm-hmm. in our country right now. That, and, and, and it seems like it gets worse every week that this story unfolds. Yeah, it is a very toxic atmosphere. And, you know, we just emerged from huge spikes in anti-Asian racism. And even though racism is a deflection and a propaganda line from the Chinese government that any criticism of China is racism, it's also true 
you know, speaking of complexity, that when there's more negativity around China, there's a spike in harassment and scapegoating of people who look Asian. You don't even have to be Chinese. Like, racists don't care, like, where exactly in East Asia you're from. They're going to flash out at you. So it's all very toxic. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Joanna, we duly note stories on this show when there's a new story that we're afraid people might otherwise miss. Do you have something to duly note for our listeners today? Yeah, so in the spear of authoritarian strongman politics in Turkey, Erdogan, you know, facing elections May 14th, and it's the first time since he was in power in 2003 where he could lose his seat. And he's been kind of like the strongman leader of Turkey since then and um, taking a turn towards being more authoritarian, kind of more, instead of the being more secular, going to more persecution of religious minorities. So it'd be interesting if this kind of strongman does end up losing power because Turkey still and does have some democratic elections. So that would kind of change the shape of kind of allies of, of China, of, you know, this kind of dynamic of people who are more authoritarian. But Turkey's very complicated. And I also have heard that some of the opposition, they've also been kind of going more to the far right to try to steal votes from Erdogan supporters. So we'll see if him losing or potentially losing might mean that Turkey will be less authoritarian. So duly noted. 
I want to quickly duly note some headlines related to a story that we've been bringing you over the course of, I don't know, like a year or so now, maybe more. Our colleague Sarah Larniuk has been telling our listeners a story of this uh, mysterious neurological syndrome afflicting people, many of whom in New Brunswick, and questions about the government's story and even some lies that she was able to catch the government of New Brunswick in and failing to actually track down the source of this. The people who are suffering from this got together this week with the Green Party in New Brunswick with Green Party leader David Kuhn to demand that the hunt for answers go on. And confirming some things that Canada Land listeners heard earlier, it's not like 45 or 47 patients who are suffering from this this bizarre debilitating neurological symptoms, but the number is like 147. And the word that I took special note of in the CBC's coverage of this press conference that they held and the Globe and Mail's coverage, the word to watch going forward is glyphosate. And that is a weed killer, a very controversial herbicide that has been sprayed all across New Brunswick. And two of the different people suffering say that they've tested or their relatives have tested incredibly high. One tested 47 times what is an acceptable level of glyphosate. And this story isn't going anywhere. And I think that's a word people should keep track of as the story progresses. Duly noted. This episode is brought to everybody by Calm. Joanna, are you like a meditator? Do you have a, a practice around wellness? No, I can't sit still and just not do anything, but I do yoga and it helps a lot. That's good. I can't even focus for that. I, I need something. <laughs> like I, It's kind of funny to be asking journalists about how calm they are. <laughs> yeah. But we need this stuff. And Calm has actually brought some tools into my life that are pretty damn powerful and effective at, at just... I don't know, taking a moment. And they give you little reminders uh, to keep a schedule. You've got to actually be diligent about this stuff. Calm will take you through guided meditations. They offer sleep stories, daily movement sessions, and a lot more. These are tools to improve the way that you feel. For listeners of Canada Land, Calm is offering an exclusive offer, 40% off of a Calm premium subscription. And you get that at calm.com slash Canada Land. I will spell that. It's C-A-L-M dot com slash Canada Land. That'll get you 40% off unlimited access to their whole library at calm.com slash Canada Land. Joanna, terrible story here in Toronto. Last weekend, uh, 16-year-old Gabriel Migueles was coming back from the mall, from the Eaton Center in downtown Toronto, with a friend, and he was randomly stabbed three times in the chest in an unprovoked attack. And he later died. And this story, uh, as awful as it is, is sadly not an uncommon story. There have been a string of assaults, stabbings, swarmings, murders on TTC property, transit property, over the past year. The star counted them up in January, and there were over 20 of them at that point over the, over the previous 12 months. What is uncommon about this particular instance is that because the teenager involved in this crime was the victim— and, and not the accused perpetrator, we actually have some information about the crime and about the, the accused perpetrator. And we know that it's a 22-year-old, Jordan O'Brien Tobin, of no fixed address, appears to have a history of criminal charges and open arrest warrant out for him. People can read the story if they want to read more about him. But that's uncommon because there have been so many of these stories, and not just in Toronto, Youth crime stories, often the word swarming comes up, often stabbing comes up, often transit comes up, and we we just are getting so little information. 
teen charged with attempted murder after a stabbing at Nova Scotia school. This terrible swarming where eight girls, some just 13 years old, have been charged in a fatal swarming attack on, seems to be a stranger, and one of your colleagues at the Star trying to cover that, but can't really tell us anything about it. Mm-hmm. Stories out of Winnipeg. I could go on and on with the headlines, you know, as a parent, as a citizen, and just like trying to figure out like, what do I need to be aware of? I can't even begin to guess at what these crimes are like or, or what they look like or what's going on because we have very strict rules when it comes to youth offenders in the press. Yeah, actually, my colleague Jennifer Pagliaro, she spent two months in youth court going in and out of court and basically got nothing. So she wrote a piece about why she's dedicated that time, even though it was illegal to report on a lot of what's happening. But I think how some media are getting together to try to demand at least some context, some basics of the cases, because basically the way Canada's rules are, it's pretty much nothing. You know, this uh, 16-year-old earlier this month killed two cops in Edmonton mm-hmm. and shot his mother and then himself. And we got, we got like emails from listeners being like, hey, how come they're naming this kid? How come I'm finally able to learn about him and, and hear about his mental health troubles and actually get some insight into the systems that may have failed here? You know, there's a picture of the kid. I'm actually learning a little bit about this. I, I thought that the press wasn't allowed. And for a second, I was like, yeah, that is weird. And then, you know, my colleague Jonathan Goldsby goes, oh, that's because he's dead. If the kid dies, then we don't protect their privacy. I understand why we don't want to be running the names of youth offenders. First of all, we don't know that they did it yet. They're, they haven't been proven guilty. Mm-hmm. And second, and even if they did, there is a lot of emphasis placed on the possibility for rehabilitation. And you don't want that, you know, haunting their, their Google results uh, and everything else for the rest of their lives. But when you're talking about what, what looks increasingly like a national crisis, I mean, we talk about the public interest. Like, So why does the newsreader have a right to know about this? Well, I can't think of a more urgent public interest case than just like, I don't want this to happen to my kids. If there's some common thread in some of these cases where like, I, you know, I hate to sound like such an old fogey here, but like, like, are these kids listening to the same music? Is there some <laughs> weird like thrill kill thing happening? Here? Are these completely disconnected, isolated yeah. cases? What we get from the media instead are these sort of like, let's look at the systemic structures. Let's look at how yeah. the schools are failing and mental health. And that's all very important stuff to look at here. Mm-hmm. But it's just sort of hard to make much of that systemic analysis when I don't even know how these crimes are occurring and what they look like or how you can look out for them. You know, it's really like I was crying yesterday, like your your producer sent me a list of these stories and I've been trying to like control my conception of like really distressing media and seeing that all like you do see, it does seem like a pattern. It does seem like a spike. And that kind of speculation about like why, I think it does sort of help because a lot of people are saying perhaps the terrible economy, a lot of kids, their families facing homelessness, losing their homes because of the crazy rising prices and years of isolation, social isolation, like the lack of proper education because of school lockdowns. Yeah, the pandemic is, you know, that's I think the the most, you know, I hate to like be reductive, but obviously it seems that that's just like a a clear aspect of this. Yeah. And so I don't think necessarily like trying to get, you know, people who study these things to weigh in is useless and just even to expand it beyond kids. Like I was just shocked, like reading about what happened in Vancouver recently when a dad, you know, had some sort of confrontation with someone who seemed pretty mentally unstable, ended up getting killed in front of his wife and 
kids just randomly outside a Vancouver cafe. Yeah. It's just, you see all of these things happening. Like you don't even want to go outside <laughs> your house. Like when I was in Toronto, like in, in the wake of all the TTC stabbings, I'm like, I'm going to walk. I'm not going to jump on that train. I know it's, it's hard and it makes you feel really powerless when there are these really huge cases and reporters can't report anything, even though like you list the reasons why it is very disconcerting, I think, for a lot of people. Do you have any suggestions on what could possibly change? Like, I, I don't know. It's another one where I feel like my inclination, my bias is always towards knowing more and I am heartened when I hear that, like, reporters are fighting for the right to get some more information on the record, even though I'm sympathetic to the reasons why why those laws exist. The best thing I read about this was somebody put forth the idea that, like, you know what would really help in a situation like this? If we had cell phones that worked when we were on the subway in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm just looking for something tangible here because, mm-hmm. again, it's it's the vacuum of information that makes you feel really powerless and, and, and that's where fear grows. Yeah. It's all well and good and really, I think, necessary to hear about the systemic issues. But the systemic issues feel like very, like, like how's that going to help us not have four more of these in the next month? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not yeah. going to solve the systemic issues in the next month. But, like, uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, telecom infrastructure is even harder, but at least that mm-hmm. feels, like, tangible. Like, maybe, yeah. you know? Yeah, and also school safety, I, I I read that a lot of schools, like entranceways, are not very secure and they don't have video cameras that are working and it's slow to request updates for just like basic security at schools. Yeah. And that's not going to be comforting to parents either. You, you hear about shootings in, in outside Canadian schools. We're not exempt from mass shootings that we see, sadly, in the States all the time. I don't know. It's pretty scary stuff. Just the gravity of the, that a lot of people, their mental health might be broken or their families might just be broken, you know, post-COVID impacts or recession impacts. Like, it's a huge story that is hard to wrap your head around. Well, that's shortcuts. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Joanna, thank you for joining me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. I can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that people send. Uh, Joanna Chu, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter with my name, Joanna Chu. Message me. I spend too much time on there. You know, my book, China Unbound, is available in libraries, or there's a pretty extensive free preview on Google Books, so it would make me feel a lot better with all of the stuff going on if more people have read the context, the global context I try to bring together. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofo. Theme music is by So-Called. Syndication is by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Listen, if you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism, and we want to give you all kinds of great stuff. Premium access to our shows ad-free, early releases, bonus content, our exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything, you will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you will be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Please come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. 
You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a campside media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.